One, two, three. Bum, 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 yeah, the kitty cat. What's the kitty's name? Mama Cat. Mama Cat? Yeah, she's a pretty girl. She showed up on our doorstep about five years ago um, for food, and we started feeding her. Um, and then she showed up a week later with two kittens by the scruff of their necks, and she threw them on our porch and said, here, you take them. And uh, one of them survived, one did not. And so now we have two cats for the last five years. We have Mama Cat and Mr. Daisy. Mr. Daisy, I like oh, that. Yeah, we thought Daisy was a girl. Yeah, we never gave Mama Cat a name, though. She's just Mama Cat. That works. Yeah. She didn't seem to mind it. Uh, so, hey, we're going to have John Owens joining us shortly. But uh, before then, um, we have some pretty big news to, to share with our, with our many, many fans. <laughs> Why do I laugh every time I say that? Uh, because we have it's a lot preposterous. Of we have 8,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, on the Facebook. I- that's not bad. The idea of fandom is is preposterous, though, and that's why you laugh. I, I would say of the 8,000, most of them maybe follow us because they get good information from us. But I'd say we also have a significant, not significant, but we have a small, loyal fan base, too. Like, we have people that legitimately like what we do and cheer it on. And uh, I guess that qualifies as a fan, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> we're appreciative of all of them. <laughs> right. Right. We're, we're also, we, we are by, very much why people would, would uh, choose to throw their support at us, but we're, but we're happy and we'll take it. Very yeah, happy. we absolutely will. We absolutely will. What were we well, talking our, about? Our, our big news is that um, we will be working with WFJA Radio and WWGP to put on um, a first-of-its-kind local candidate interview program um, in early to mid-October. Um, we are going to help the radio station by broadcasting to Facebook Live this event, which will feature candidates for the uh, North Carolina General Assembly, Lee County Board of Commissioners, and the Lee County Board of Education. Uh, These interviews are going to take place um, Monday, October 5th, Tuesday, October 6th, Wednesday, October 7th, Thursday, October 8th, and Monday, October 12th. Um, They'll be, these will be presented on the air uh, in one to two hour blocks. And to my knowledge, all of the candidates have agreed to uh, be a part of this thing and we're excited to partner with the radio station on it and get information out to voters about who's on the ballot this year. What do you think, Billy? I thought your big uh, news was that John was on the air now. Hi. <laughs> hey. hey, John. Hi. I, I was reading, I was reading some of that information, so I didn't see you, didn't Sliding see you jump in. in. Sliding into the DMs. So I, um, I, I'm excited about it. We met with uh, John Hockaday at the at the radio station yesterday. This is this is uh, this is big for the rant. We get to associate our name with an established uh, radio station like WWGP and WFJA, and uh, um, 
what we're going, the role we're playing in it. I think, I think I might host one or two of the interviews, but for the most part, the interviews will be conducted by other people that the radio station chooses. Um, but our part in it is we will be carrying these, these interviews on Facebook live as will the radio station. And uh, we will be sharing those Facebook live videos to our website. And in addition to their, to each of these, you know, 15 minute interviews, we will also include the Q and a that Gordon has been putting together for the last three months. So the rant will soon be in October will become kind of a one-stop shop for not only you can watch a 15 minute interview about your candidate. You can also read what amounts to six very in-depth questions about your candidate. So um, all, what is it, 18 candidates for these various positions, local positions, will be equally represented on our website. And uh, that's a ton of information that I don't think you can get anywhere else in this county. So um, if you want to be an informed voter, uh, certainly the rant will help you become that this, this coming month in October. And I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, John, uh, I ran into John a few weeks ago distributing. It was on publication day for, I think, our most recent issue. I ran into him at the Tramway Diner, and he floated this idea, and I thought it was a good idea. And so we talked a little bit more about it, and yeah, I think it's cool. And it's it's interesting to me because for the last nine years, something like that, I've been involved in elections on the other side, working for candidates, which I've, I've stopped doing as the rant became something bigger um, because I wanted to avoid conflicts of interest, but it's, um, it's felt weird to not be involved as that, as that stuff kicked off. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of good to be a part of it again in some way, even if it is on the other side. So this election, you know, every four years, obviously the, uh, the voter turnout is greater because um, every, everybody who's voting will be voting for president. And in years where a president's not running, obviously you have a lower voter turnout, but how many times have, and I know maybe the two of you are a little more informed than I am, but how many times have you gone in, in, <laughs> into the ballot box and uh, or into the ballot place and, and gone to vote. And then you see, these races that have names you've never even heard of before. And yet you still vote. You still feel obligated to vote. And I can't, I can't really explain my process at some of those elections, but sometimes I vote on the name that sounds the best or, or I vote on, you know, of course, party affiliation helps a lot, but uh, there uh, I'm curious the percentage of, of a vote that is made by someone who has zero idea who any of these candidates are and that they simply vote because of the R or the D next to their name. And uh, up until recently, when you voted on school board, it didn't even have the R and the D next to their name. So the choices you were making were, were explicitly blind votes. And sometimes you would just vote because, you know, the first three that appeared alphabetically or something like that, uh, well, you know, there's a big deal about that. So the lead, I think, state uh, the state has a rule that they have to alternate which person goes first like the republican one year and then the democrat the next year it's not based on alphabetical order anymore it's not 
just because of that, because because people don't know who like people are in a certain race, they'll just pick the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in the last, I I don't know if in the past I've voted just on the first one, but I will admit specifically for maybe judge races or some, or water commissioner thing, I make completely blind votes and I'm a bit ashamed to admit that. So the most recent judges race, I think in 2018, maybe or 16, the Republicans were listed first on the ballot. But when you got to the judge, the, uh, the judge, I can't remember if it was Beasley or who was listed first, but that person was a Democrat, but that those are nonpartisan races. So the, the Republicans said that that person won just because people were used to voting for the Republican first on the ballot, which makes yeah. sense. You know, I mean that. I wonder, I wonder if in the future, if it does go to some kind of um, electronic voting, I wonder if you would be able to like click info on somebody before you make that vote, you know, you go online and vote for the NBA all-star team or the, <laughs> or the major league baseball all-star team. And you can click somebody's name and see their stats and, you know, and, and see just exactly what you're voting for. I think if you're ever going to make a case for electronic voting, um, I, I know some people are against the idea of seeing faces because then race plays a, a deal into it or whatnot. But, I think at least being able to see maybe someone's background or where they stand on certain issues. That's an interesting um, question, but I think that the, the information provided would have to be heavily vetted and. Well, maybe approved be, by the candidate, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and maybe even approved by the opposing candidate because. Yeah. If I can say whatever I want about myself, whether it's true or not, my opponent might not be so into that. Yeah. I'm not I saying it's it a bad would, idea, but there, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions, and, and maybe it, maybe you toss in the whole idea of electronic voting for everybody, and then, and then you have all Why don't we just toss the idea of voting? They can't do it. And, I think we're getting close to that. <laughs> I mean, everybody goes to school online now. Why can't we all vote online? I know it opens up the possibility of huge, huge voter fraud, but, you know. You kind of already do vote online. You just do it in person. All the all the votes are tabulated online. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But well, speaking of school online, that that, that makes <laughs> for way, a nice segue. Segue. <laughs> um, news hit this week that kids can go back to school. K through eight kids can go back to school beginning on October fifth in Lee County. What's that mean for you guys? Well, I'm not going to give it completely away, but my column that will appear in the next. October edition of the Ramp Monthly will reveal my thoughts on sending my kids back to school. And just to give you a a tease to it, I'm very for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very for it. Uh, There's a lot. My wife and I have had very, very, very long discussions about this. Um, Part of it has to deal with a lot of schools around the country have gone to some form of in-person learning and particularly for elementary and middle school age children, you don't hear a lot that's gone wrong with that. I know you have positive cases that certainly come up and I know maybe teachers who have 
um, pre-existing conditions are certainly in danger, and I'm not belittling that in the very least. But I think there is a benefit for our for our kids going back to face-to-face learning. This online learning is not for everybody, and I'm fortunate that my wife has been able to um, monitor our kids a lot more than I do and has been able to make it work in our house, but not everybody has that luxury and it's tough. It's just been very tough. And I like the school's idea of splitting up the classes. Um, I like the idea of going twice a week and then having Wednesday as a kind of cleanup day. And then the other half of the students go the other two days of the week. Uh, I like that they're staggering entry. So my kindergartner through first, second grader will go first week of October, third through fourth or whatever will go the following week. And then fifth through whatever will go the third week um, just to make sure it all goes smoothly and that, you know, it's not all done at once. These are all good ideas and I think it will work. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really for the idea I do believe we're going to be sending our kids back. There will certainly be worry there, but I, I think, it, you know, if the guidelines are set in place and, and kids adhere to them and teachers adhere to them, I think this can work. I point to my place of employment, Campbell University, which started on campus learning in mid-August, and we are now a month into it, a fourth into the semester we've had a total out of 7,000 students and more than 1,000 faculty and staff, um, we've had a total of 25 cases. And the majority of those are commuter students. And uh, it's working. I know it hasn't worked for a lot of other universities, but it's working at Campbell. And it's working at a lot of other places. And I think, I think our schools can do it. And I'm glad that they're taking this step. Yeah, Where are you at, true, John? I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I just don't think that, I mean, it's not a slight against the teachers, but I don't think my kids are learning as much as they could in a classroom setting. And yeah, uh, we'll be a little nervous. I mean, they, they already, like the second grader already brings home every disease ever. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll just keep them away from the grandparents for the year. Well, that's, you know, I saw some comments on that. Um, people saying, well, I guess my kids can't see their grandchildren um, or their grandparents, but uh, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I guess I don't know this because we are considering sending our kids back. Is online learning still an option for those yeah, people? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So there's still a choice there, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I haven't studied it very closely. Yes, the virtual academies will... Well, I don't even option. know if it's going to be a virtual academy. I think, I think students will remain in their classes, and whereas for half the week they'll be learning online, while the, the other students are in the classroom. So, like the camera will be set up in the classroom, and as the teacher is teaching students who are in the class, she will he or she will also be teaching students who are at home. And I think if you choose the online option, then your student just stays home all five days instead of three days that's the way this i understand is, it i could this be wrong. is from the uh the district's press release that went out wednesday when they made the decision it says um students enrolled in the inspired virtual academy will remain enrolled at their home school 
and will follow a schedule that closely aligns to those students receiving in-person instruction. So I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think the original plan for the virtual academy was to have it be separate and those stu students wouldn't be affiliated with their homeschool. But yeah. it, with this move to plan B, virtual academy enrollees have the option to continue doing their learning online. They'll just continue to be associated with the school that they would normally attend. Yeah. And again, and if, if I'm wrong on that and somebody from the district hears this and wants to let me know, I'd be glad to uh, post a clarification somewhere. So all of the, all of this sounds like it's, they're making the right decisions on this. I actually applaud the school for, for backtracking at the beginning of the semester and starting online. I don't feel like they were ready, um, but you know, who is, but I don't feel like they were ready. And, you know, they gave themselves six weeks to, to monitor. Um, a lot has happened in those six weeks. Cases have gone down in Lee County. And uh, yeah, I think, I think this is the right step. And then, you know, if, if it leads to another uptick in cases, then they've got the experience and they've got the ability to just go right back to online learning. And then, then um, you know, who knows how, how much longer we'll be doing that. So, you know, I'm seeing well, stories this week that uh, should a vaccine come out, should everything go as planned in this country, you're looking at the end of 2021 being when the country kind of finally returns to normal. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think it'll be much sooner than that. So October 5th is when uh, November kids 3rd. start going back. Yeah, that's right. It's only a month away from the election when this thing will all be over with. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to. I know. If get if I right. if if I don't get to mention that Billy fired me, I have to mention that this will be over by the by the election. Good screaming, everybody! You have to mention your affiliation with the Plandemic Group. That's right. I've changed my last name to Mikeovitz. I heard a I heard a new one. Scamden Scamdemic today. What are what are what are these conspiracy theorists going to do? If uh, when all this ends, just find a new thing to complain about. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't trust the flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey, did y'all see that the governor? So the governor put out that uh, it's like a meme that was talking about Dan Forrest saying masks are bad, and then and Dan Forrest like just photo. used it for his own and then campaign. Used it with the exact same post and he had more likes. Right. It's like the, the, the tweet I saw was like, we've reached the place in political discourse where they can both say the same thing and rally their respective <laughs> yeah, bases was, in the same way. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, uh, Tina Gross, co-owner of Gross Farms here in, in Sanford, North Carolina. Uh, we have you on today because um, as, as the weather is telling us today, after all this rain, uh, fall is coming. And uh, I know your, your business, um, well, I'll let you tell it, but you guys definitely take advantage of fall and there's a lot that you offer to our area um, during this season. So uh, first and foremost, uh, or not for, foremost, but just first, uh, 
we just got through with a uh, the tail end of a hurricane. What does that do? Getting all that rain in a day is that good for you, or is is that too much? Um, well, I'll give you an Ag 101 course real quick. So all this rain that we've received, um, any chemicals that we've used to kind of keep weeds at bay and um, other um, types of weeds that reproduce real quickly, that, that, that's gone. So uh, I, that is, uh, we'll have to go in and ma- maintain the paths and the corn maze. So that's how that's affected. And likely, most likely when you come out to the farm, you'll see more weeds in the pumpkin patch. So when you have excessive rainfall in, during a year, you're going to see more weeds everywhere. So um, it's mighty wet here at the farm today. So uh, a lot of maintenance is being done in our shop and uh, just preparation, prepping for the fall season, planning. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you hear farmers all the time talking about, yes, rain, please, rain, rain. But there is a thing is too much rain, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. <laughs> so, um I know in the spring, gross farms is a hit uh, with the strawberry season coming. And I know um, when my, when my family, uh, I don't know if it was right after we moved here, but it wasn't long after we moved here. uh, We made a point to come out and pick strawberries out there. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's huge for you, but fall is also huge. And I don't know when you started it, but um, you started taking fall as the opportunity to, to uh, have the corn maze and and uh, uh, tractor rides and all this other kind of great stuff. Um, when did that start for you? And and uh, what does that do for your business every year? Okay, so that's called agritourism. And we started venturing into agritourism in 2000 when we first began planting strawberries. And we offered We Pick and You Pick. It's a means of diversification for farmers to supplement their income from other row crops. So you have two words joined together, agriculture and tourism. So it was such a hit in 2000, we planted pumpkins that fall and that went really well. Uh, We started having just a few school field trips and, um, we expanded on that um, was in 2002 with our first corn maze. So it's steadily grown every year. Uh, the public's received it well, and um, we've added something new every year. Although we did take away in 2009 and stop doing our haunted attraction. So we are a family-friendly um event here only in the fall we don't offer any type of halloween or haunted attractions Uh, what was the reason for that did it did it get to be too scary or too much for people well in a sense we were running two business entities at the same time and we were about to work ourselves to death (laughs) so um, we had to make a choice and uh, we chose to just focus on family family friendly activities and offer more of that I want to back up just a second and see if you could maybe tell our listeners who might not know just, you know, just about Gross Farms, where you're at, what you guys do in addition to the agritourism, where people can find you online, that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Uh, Gross Farms is located in 
Lee County. We're down in Sanford, North Carolina, and which is pretty much the middle of the state. Uh, we, in addition to agritourism, we have about um, seventeen hundred acres of crops. Wow. So uh, we grow tobacco, soybeans, rye. We do a lot of straw for construction companies. Um, we um, we've grown wheat and cotton in the past, but not in the current year. So um, we've grown field corn in the past as well, but mainly. Um, we are tobacco, soybeans, and rye, and uh, our produce, of course, asparagus, strawberries, pumpkins, uh, just a, a broad variety. Do you guys have a produce market that's open to the public, or do you sell to distributors? Uh, as, as Billy mentioned earlier, we do have a produce, uh, we call it a produce barn, that we open in late April, and we keep mm-hmm. that open through early June with our strawberry season. Uh, so once strawberries are ready, we open that up and all of that is communicated to the public through social media and our website, grossfarms.com. Okay. Yeah. How much would you say? So you know, obviously you started a farm because you wanted to produce, but how much would you say when, when you started getting into the tourism part of it, uh, what is maybe the percentage of your, of your, um, I guess what you take in in a year, how much does that come in from the visitors and from these events that you have? Uh, probably about 25%. I mean, it's a significant amount. Yeah. It's, um, and it's grown each year. Yeah. So as <laughs> seems like we have this question on repeat every, every week now, but uh, what has the pandemic done to that this year? Oh, it's been a challenging year. Um, like, as I mentioned before, UPIC has been huge for us. Um, we did not offer UPIC strawberries in the spring um, because, like everyone else, we were trying to just navigate the pandemic and the rules and the guidelines as best we could. And the curbside pickup, it went really well. Customers were very respectful and appreciative, and it, we worked through it. Although for the fall, we are going to offer UPIC pumpkins and um we are in the planning stages of getting our corn maze and other activities to where we have a plan in place that, you know, is um, a display of due diligence and safety. Yeah. And I, we're definitely going to talk about the corn maze. Um, part of the reason I, I reached out to you for this was because you did come out with uh, a, a press release this week about your upcoming maze. But before we get into that, um, Usually in the fall, you offer this maze, you offer the big slide. I know you've got the uh, tractor rides, you've got the the playground for kids, you've got this jump pad that I remember. Uh, this fall, what all stays and what all, what all goes because of, uh, of uh, social distancing? Uh, I can say right now definitely for sure that the – Pumpkin patch, we pick and you pick will be offered. The corn maze will be offered. Play area, we are in uh, still planning mode, trying to be sure that we can dot all of our I's and cross our T's with the jumping pad, jumping pillow, and slide. I'm fairly confident that we can sanitize those and have a, a schedule in place to where it'll be safe for our customers. But um, stay tuned for that. As right. far as the ride, 
um, according to the guidelines with a hayride, if you offer uh, the hayride as a source of transportation for the public to get to your pumpkin patch to pick a product, the hayride can be used. Although you do have to have a sanitation policy in place for that as well. So that, that is in the work. So, so it just um, can't be used for, for leisure to, to do right. or for, or for a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as for the corn maze, I know um, every year people are excited about what your design is. And uh, this year you've chosen to do a design that um, pays tribute to frontline medical workers. And I don't have it in front of me, but I recall um, there's an image of uh, a, a nurse or a doctor wearing a face mask and, and a few other things. Uh, what, what made you want to go with that theme this year? And then tell us about the process because I can't imagine that it's easy to, to make these, to make these uh, mazes like this. It, it looks like to me, it takes a lot of work. It's, uh, it is a lot of work. It's something that I work on year round. Uh, usually inspiration hits for a theme by spring, early summer. But with the pandemic this year, you know, we struggled with uh, even knowing if we might be able to open or not this fall. So um, we made a decision to move forward and plant the maze regardless of whether we would be able to open in the fall or not because um, we felt strongly and wanted to show our appreciation to all the frontline workers. And the maze this year is a, uh, like you said, a doctor or a nurse. Um, it's actually a retail worker with a mask on, or it could be perceived as, as a healthcare worker mm-hmm. and a farmer. Okay. So we went, we went um, to the company we use, Maze Play, which is based out of Idaho, and explained to them you know, this is what we'd like to see. And the guy that does the design, he's, he's so creative and talented that um, this is what he sent us back. So yeah. um, it's kind of interesting in the, the way we do it as far as the maze design. In years past, we have always cut the maze in the design. For the past two years, this year and last year, the maze has actually been planted in the design. So the planner is, you know, programmed with GPS to drop those seed kernels at a certain place. So it's it's really neat. That's fascinating. Does that make it easier? It is easier and less expensive, (laughs) actually. Yeah, because the the first way you just have a giant corn field and then somebody has to, I guess, go through and, and plow the path. This one, it just grows that way, I guess. Exactly. Wow. I had no idea. It's not it's something you don't even think about. Does that, does the second way present challenges as far as the, during the growing season, making sure that it's growing according to pattern and, you know, if something comes up, having to change course, that sort of thing? We can modify it if needed, um, but all in all, it really grows in the design that as Chase designed it. And I do do drone footage every year just because I want to see it myself. And uh, so I'll be releasing that in the next week. Has anybody ever gotten lost in one of your mazes and had to be rescued? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My dog. You say, too. you say that. You say that like it happens a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, we we uh we have some folks get lost out there. We yeah, feed them breakfast right the next morning though. Okay. <laughs> you said something about your dog. What what were you about to say? Uh, he 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 has a tendency to to go his own way out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I um am curious. You mentioned agritourism earlier, and obviously there's been a big push in Sanford and Lee County in the last few years to. Um, establish, you know, some tourism infrastructure with the, the hotel tax and and the the TDA and all of that. Have you been involved in those efforts? And what has your opinion been of of those things? Uh, it has been a collaborative effort. Um, I was approached uh, to represent agriculture uh, or agribusiness on um, with Saga in the TDA, and I, I have learned a lot with that. Enjoyed. And enjoyed the learning process. Uh, everyone is very um, encouraging and supportive, and it's been a, a lot of strategizing. What do you see in it, be it the future of tourism in Sanford and Lee County being? It's um, it's going to be very interesting to watch because Sanford is going to grow, and more people enjoy the, the vibes they get from Sanford and the atmosphere we have here. The one thing I hear at my farm is you guys are so friendly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you just don't see that in a lot of areas anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tina, I told you we'd, we'd, we'd have you on for about 15 or 20 minutes. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I, before you go, I want to promote gross farms, uh, you guys are located at 1606 Pickett Road here in Sanford. Um, you can be found online at grossfarms.com. Uh, you're also very active on Facebook, and uh, you can see the design for this year's maze on their Facebook page and on, and on their website. Uh, any other information that you want to promote about uh, what you're offering this fall? Uh, we will be opening on Saturday, September 26th. We have delayed opening for one week uh, to get ready for um, implementing all, all of our COVID-19 guidelines and uh, safety measures. And we will be open through Sunday, November 1st. Okay. And uh, um, I know some, some places like this, uh, because of uh, capacity concerns and things, um, do people need to make reservations to come out there or is this, are they able to just arrive for 2020, all tickets will be sold online in an effort to um, limit attendance and also um, uh, be in compliance with all the guidelines that the state has, has sent down. Okay, so you, and, uh, you have to definitely buy your tickets online first, then you can't just Yes, you have to buy your tickets online and your tickets will be for a timed interval, so... Uh, please visit our website. All that information will be there. There will be links to the website from our Facebook page within the coming week. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tina. Uh, good luck this fall. I know uh, my kids are dying to get out of the house and uh, we're going to, we're going to come check you guys out and grab All a right, few pumpkins. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, Tina. Bye. Uh, Gordon, you had a uh, you had a a story this week that I know you've been 
you've been working on this story for years now, and it kind of came to a very uh, important conclusion. I don't know if it's conclusion yet, but big news this week about the Wilwork Hotel in downtown Sanford. Yeah, one of the oldest and tallest buildings in downtown Sanford, the Wilwork Hotel, has been surrounded by questions and confusion for at least four years. I started writing about this in 2016. Um, that was when some questions arose about who actually owned the building. It had been operated by the Sanford Housing Authority, but was technically owned by a nonprofit called the Sanford Affordable Housing Development Corporation. And these two groups consisted of a lot of the same people and kind of got commingled, but it came to a point where the two organizations dissolved their management agreement this completely private nonprofit that self-appoints its board of directors ended up owning the Wilrick Hotel. And there was all kinds of questions about what that meant, who was in charge, where the money was going. Um, in fact, in 2017, the Sanford Affordable Housing Development Corporation reported a $100,000 embezzlement. Uh, and not long ago, one of the former directors of that organization was charged with uh, charged with that crime. The city of Sanford uh, last fall, early this year, initiated a lawsuit against this nonprofit, basically trying to get control back of this building, which I'm not sure how many people live there, but it's been used for low-income housing for several years. And that lawsuit came to a head um, earlier this month when a judge awarded essentially awarded ownership back to the city. And my understanding is that the first part of that process involves a restructuring of the nonprofit's board of directors, uh, requiring that it include the mayor of Sanford, the member of the city council in whose ward the building stands, and the chair of the local historic preservation commission. That group will have the opportunity to appoint a successor board that will still be the Sanford Affordable Housing Development Corporation, but all the appointment power will be with the city. So the city will again control that building. And I just think it's really interesting and fascinating because that is a beautiful building. Uh, my opinion is that it looks like the people who have been running it the last few years have not been taking the best care of it. I've heard stories about units in there being quote, uninhabitable. Um, and that's just not good for downtown. Um, we got a lot of comments when we posted this story that asked about, well, what's going to happen to the people living there? And the quotes I got from every person involved that I talked to was essentially that those people don't need to be worried about finding a new home. What they want to do is get in there and determine the condition of the building and make sure it's safe for everybody. But there are a lot of long-term implications of the city being in charge of this organization now. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more to come and it's going to be interesting to write about, but I'd like to think that my reporting over the last four years played some role in all this happening. And that's, you know, one of the best feelings that you can have as a journalist that the stuff you wrote about caused change that's hopefully for the better. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, since I've been in Sanford, um, Wilrick, has been in a, uh, a mystery to me as far as um, its history and uh, who ran it, 
who lives there, all that kind of stuff. And, and looks like it's going to be a little more clear now, at least on the who's running things side of it. Um, you know, it's easy for anybody to say, well, I hope it doesn't become low income housing because the term low income housing has a negative connotation. Um, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes not rightfully so. Uh, people, when they when they say they don't want it to be low income housing, I guess what they're saying is they don't want it to be a blight. And just because it's low income housing doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a blight. Yeah, However, it sounds like from your reporting though that it is a blight, <laughs> at least in some areas, hasn't been take well taken care of. And so not only is that negatively negatively affect downtown Sanford, but it negatively affects the people living there. I hope it becomes something better. I don't want to see the people who are living there lose their homes, obviously. Um, I hope that something can be worked out as, you know, for it to become a functional, vital part of downtown Sanford, but also a place where people live and can afford to live. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of decisions, I guess, to be made about the future of this building. I'm just happy that it has a future now. And, um, you know, downtown Sanford, I think, has come a long way. And this is another big step, I think, toward, you know, making it a relevant place that people actually want to go to. Gordon, we went to a meet and greet there one time for candidates, you and I. Remember yeah, that? the Lee County Democratic Women uh, for years held a candidate forum there. Um, nice. The meet the candidates event. And that was, I believe that's typically done at the time of the primary, but... Um, I covered that for years as a reporter at the Herald and after leaving the Herald, I, I went to that event working with candidates and that space, that ballroom space there is absolutely beautiful. And uh, yeah, you know, I, we, we all know people who had their wedding reception there. And if just even that was more available to the public going forward, I think that that'd be a win. I, I Billy, you, you went back and said it's been like a mystery to you. And that's the thing. Somebody I was speaking with about it, I think this is something I said to them, but it's been like a black hole because there's no way for anybody not affiliated with this nonprofit to get in there and know anything about who lives there, what the living conditions are. And that's just not a good thing for this beautiful historic building. Yeah. Do you think that it could be remodeled and into like upper end apartments and I think that, well, I, I know there are some federal tax credits associated with it that require it to be available for low income housing until like 2027, I want to say. Um, and, you know, I, I can't speak for the city or anything like that, but I would imagine that long term, 10, 20 years, they don't want to be in the apartment business. Yeah. Um, but they do have a sticky situation in because they have people living there that, that, you know, they can't just kick them out. Um, I don't think it, it, you know, it's called the Wilwick hotel or the Wilwick, whatever. I imagine it was a hotel. I can't see a hotel that large. I can't see it running as a hotel, you know? Like, so the history of that is like incredible. It was known well, well, well beyond Sanford for people traveling through, which is, kind of a crazy thing to think about back in the thirties, I want to say. And I even, I'm looking into this, but I even found. It was the story. cat's meow back then. That's what I heard. Right. Yeah. The bee's <laughs> knees. 
but it was um there was this thing in the 30s where some criminal from up in the mountains who was on like the fbi most wanted list was captured by the fbi right outside the wilrick and i need to find more about that but i, I think that'd be an awesome story to yeah. to write sounds like we have a wilrick feature coming up in the rant sometime yeah. soon the g-men were like yeah see <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's hiding at the wilrick you see see <laughs> And he's standing outside. He's sweating. Someone asks, "What's going on?" It's the coppers. They're after me. The G-Men. Is that the tallest building in Sanford? I'm not sure if that is taller than the uh, the building on the other corner of that block. Um, the shops at Steel Street. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not sure which of those is taller. It's our two skyscrapers. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You said they don't want to be in the apartment business, and I, I don't see it functioning as a as a hotel. But you know, maybe retail space, maybe a mix residential retail. Maybe there um, are a lot of old photos of that building, and there's like diners and retail space on that first floor. And I don't know if that's something that can be done with you know housing being in there right now. But there's it's there's just a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Don't fumble this city of Sanford. Ball's in your court. Billy's eating. Hit a home run. <laughs> but I think in, in any case, it's good that it's back in responsible hands. And, and that's a win for downtown. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's almost lunchtime and my stomach's growling. And uh, I'm, I, I need to go eat lunch. You guys are welcome to keep talking and continue this into Friday evening if you'd like, but 16 hour podcast marathon 16 hour podcast marathon. Um, but uh, I want to just remind here. people be on the lookout for, for the announcement about our affiliation with uh, WFJA and WWGP about the upcoming candidate uh, interviews. We're happy to be a part of that and keep reading the rant. We've got a new edition coming out first week of October We're excited about it. We'll talk more about that one next week, though. Bye, guys. Laters. Bye, guys. Lates. I can't end it.